Welcome to the Second Renaissance Podcast, where we decode the rebirth of human creativity in a technology-driven world. I'm Anders Sommenilsen, global futurist, author, and the co-creator of the Adobe CQ, the IQ test for your creative leadership, and your host for the Second Renaissance. Welcome. Uh, well, not just... Uh, my favorite hairdresser ever. Um, I miss you, Sandy Chong. But also, <laughs> uh, we had many great years together uh, in your Paddington uh, salon at Suki, uh, where my hair used to look way better, Sandy, uh, certainly also before shutdown and lockdowns. Uh, but I'm welcoming onto the show today to the second renaissance, Sandy Chong, who is, of course, the uh, president of the Australian Hairdressing Council, uh, but also a director of COSBOA, which is the voice of uh, the backbone of the Australian economy, which of course uh, is small business in Canberra, where she influences and, and hangs out with uh, the powers that be to help uh, Australian small business uh, truly bounce back from this uh, pandemic shock that we've been experiencing over the last 12 months. Welcome to the show, Sandy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to see you again. <laughs> it is great to see you as well. And um, I just recall the last time we actually met face to face, which I believe was in uh, Bali in May 2019, after a, a presentation I'd given there for, uh, for a brand we both work with. And I think um, I was flying out later that night after a cocktail function to Nashville, Tennessee via Sydney of all places. Um, but, um, and actually, and actually we still have a, a coffee date that we've promised each other from, from that cocktail function that, you know, has been prevented by, by circumstances beyond our control. Well, I think children as well sort of interrupted that because I hear now that you have a little bubba. So congratulations. Yes, we do. Yeah, he's keeping us very, very, very busy. Um, yeah, great to have you on the show. I'm, I'm, su I'm super excited given, you know, given how tough, um, you know, the, um, I guess, business environment has become for, for small business. I'm super curious what you're seeing both in, you know, in the beauty industry and the hairdressing industry and small business more generally. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's been said that, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. What, what, you, what are you seeing? How are small businesses responding to this pandemic crisis that we've been experiencing? Yeah. So I think for 2021, you know, we all sort of entered the year thinking and hoping um, that there would be a lot more business confidence and as well as consumer confidence. You know, 2020 was, um, someone said to me the other day, it was brutal. And I thought, you know what, that's a really good word because it was brutal. You know, starting off with uh, the beginning of the year was the drought and the bushfires. And, uh, and I remember we were going to Parliament House and having conversations with the Prime Minister and uh, Josh Frydenberg as well um, about how we're going to help these businesses that were affected by the bushfires. And, you know, little did we realise at that time that we would be hit with this pandemic that, you know, affected everybody somewhere, everybody in the country was affected by the pandemic. So, you know, with small business, um, 
uh, we get the statistics for, for, for the country on how it's going. And I know that unemployment has picked up and confidence is picking up. However, when we look at WA at the moment, and I guess the reaction of the government um, shutting down for five days so quickly with one case, and then we look at, you know, Victoria at the moment where there's been one case with a, a highly, um, you know, a high concern over this particular strain of the COVID virus. Um, you know, we, we just really, we got knocked about so much in 2020 and uh, we just hope we're not knocked about too much this year. But I think we're a bit more prepared this year, though. It's, uh, we're not quite so panicky, angry, confused. Although there's still confusion there, I must say, about do I wear a mask, do I not wear a mask, do I wear a mask, do I not wear a mask? Oh, my God. I mean, you, you and me, we've been talking for 15 years about, you know, scenario planning and, and, and strategy development, you know, the digital analog worlds and, and future planning and, you know, trends, et cetera. Uh, you know, and, and of course, the moniker is to, you know, prepare for the worst and, and hope for, for the best in business, right? But, um, you know, what, what, what are you seeing from, from, you know, the salons that you, you represent in Canberra? You know, how have they, you know, how have they shifted? What, what, what's the sense of, are we an essential service? You know, what, what role is creativity playing when, when they think about how they can offer their services and, and, and stay open and, and hopefully thrive beyond the, the shutdowns? Yeah, it's been really interesting to watch the businesses that have been really resourceful in, because, um, you know, at the beginning with the first wave in March, uh, there was really no insight as to how long is this going to happen for. And um, I guess especially with Victoria closing for the 12 weeks um, and with the beauty industry actually closing for a good six months, you know, that really did hurt the beauty industry. But it was amazing because we had some incredibly resourceful people um, decide to sell their goods or services online. And what was really brilliant is some of them were actually selling more in retail than they ever had before, which was wonderful. There's one particular beauty salon that is um, uh, right out at, uh, she's in Bathurst, I think it is. And, you know, she was selling online and she did better sales in a month than she's ever had before. So it was really great to see that. A lot of the hair salons are selling online and even a lot of the product companies are selling online as well. But, you know, we became an online economy and, uh, you know, a lot of us saved money, though, from not traveling so much, as you know. And even for the association that I work with, um, I would I would have spent a lot of money on traveling interstate. And so that certainly that certainly changed as well. But, um, you know, I think that when you run a business and you have to pay staff, then those that are just sitting in a better state of mind will always be resourceful. And it's like, well, what can I do? You know, how can I make ends meet? And uh, the government was amazing, I will say that. The incentives for small business were incredible compared to the rest of the world. The, um, the grants, job keeper, job seeker, uh, they're all amazing. But still, businesses needed to be resourceful. Yeah, it's not like you could just sit back and and collect a you know a government check, right? I I, I mean, 
we thought of all of these, you know, grant opportunities and all the rest. And we're like, well, you know, th- this is this is money that needs to go back into the economy. It's money that needs to go back into innovation, research and development, creativity, launching things that maybe we'd been, you know, meaning to launch for a really long time, like this podcast. Um, and to actually get our, you know, backs into gear to, to do some of the things that maybe, you know, time or other constraints had sort of, you know, previously prevented us from from doing um do you, do you find that when when you when you travel to canberra or when you zoom to canberra and when you uh, when you talk to stakeholders you know have they had a um have they had their ear to the ground it sounds like you're quite optimistic but um have they been taking some of these major concerns of, of, of salons or the beauty industry into concern yeah absolutely and you know i think the new south wales government in particular has been Brilliant. And last year we were meeting them weekly, then fortnightly, and then monthly. Um, we're meeting the Victorian government at the moment, of course, because um, about their small business revival, but also too because you know a lot more has happened in Victoria, and we've met up with the Queensland government as well. Um, I think as things moved on, we were going more of a state level. The uh, the New South Wales government, when we meet them, uh, we meet. Uh, with the treasurer's office, and they're they're pretty fantastic. Chris Lamont is the small, is the small business minister, uh, sorry commissioner, and uh, Damien Tudholt is the small business minister, and they're really fantastic. And um, we always get a report on the economy, um, whether it's a national economy, even the international one, but in particular, of course. Uh, the New South Wales state, there's still huge concerns about the CBDs in the major cities, especially Melbourne um, and Sydney. Uh, Many of those businesses are still up to 60% down in their turnover, you know, because everyone is so encouraged to work from home um, and we're discouraged to get on public transport. And so, you know, we have concerns about them, but I have to say the government departments, um, not so much WA, um, South Australia a little bit, but, uh, but I think overall New South Wales has been incredibly supportive and they've had a lot of open communication in speaking with COSBOA. So um, COSBOA, I'm a director, it's the Council of Small Business Organisations of Australia. Their members are associations and these associations are invited into um, our meetings, which we also have. So we speak with the ATO, the Fair Work Commonsman, um, all the different regulators, different uh, ministers and um, senators and ombudsmen, all about how small business is faring around the country. And so we do hear from all the different industries, whether they're news agents or whether, um, you know, they're uh, natural therapists, anything like that, whether they are the pharmacists, uh, whether it's the accountants, the bookkeepers, we get to hear from everyone, every industry, from entertainment, tourism, whatever, on just how everybody is going in small business, obviously tourism and the arts, uh, there's huge concerns around there. Um, but it, it, it is really good because I think in hairdressing you go, well, how unique are we? Is everyone like us? And it's, so it's really good for us to compare to all of the other industries and small businesses as well. I was going to ask, so so who's bleeding and, uh, and, 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 and who's sort of, you know, bouncing out of, out of the curve in some ways or accelerating out of the curve. So you mentioned the arts, you mentioned uh, tourism, um, 
what are you seeing for those those sectors? Uh, is it is it is it as simple as you know big gatherings being allowed or or travel opening up again, or or is there anything that you've been advising these types of businesses um, to to stay afloat and and to to be able to cope? Pretty hard thing is when the borders close, then that really obviously affects all tourism. I think in you know because we all can't travel overseas, so. You know, I think all of us have missed out overseas holidays. I had three sort of conferences that were meant to be on last year. Damn, missed them. And uh, one, of course, two were in Bali. But, um, you know, when the borders are open, what's really amazing is that Australians are booking to stay in Australia and support, um, you know, some of these, some of these, uh, some of these industries. I do remember, though, um, being at Parliament House one time, and it was a round table, and they had the um, someone from Kangaroo Island, and it was really heartbreaking because Kangaroo Island was pretty much half destroyed during the bushfires. And, um, and so I think that what is, I think what's wonderful is Australians are really trying to support our local communities, um, you know, or definitely travel within state rather than, um, you know, just staying at home. For those that have been in lockdown, obviously they can't wait to, they can't wait to get out, okay? But um, look, when the borders close and you've booked for something, that makes it really, really, really difficult for the tourist industry. As you know, I'm in Newcastle and, uh, you know, during the school holidays, you could not get anywhere to stay. So everyone came to the Hunter Valley. We've not had a COVID case since August. And so... I think it's seen as a nice, safe place to come at the moment. And uh, if you're in Sydney, you can drive here. For most places around New South Wales, you can, it's very easy drive. So. And, I'm and I'm just down, down the coast, coast a little bit in, uh, in Avalon, Avalon Village. So, so we're up on the peninsula and recording from our studio in Avalon Village mm-hmm. today. So I'm actually not, not, not that far, although driving it would take a little, little bit longer than hopefully by a drone or boat or helicopter or whatever fancy other mode of transport or Zoom, of course, that we engage in. You could get in a little rowboat and come up my way. That's what I should do. That would be that would be what my mum would recommend. She would say, hey, why you don't need technology you just need a human body to human labor to get across uh the pit water and the hawkesbury river so i mean so i'm, I'm just curious so, so you know these 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 are obviously sectors that have been bleeding who have you seen really kind of thrive through this when it comes to small business is it is it the mindset that you're talking about before around you know resourcefulness and creativity etc or what, what have people got in common that are you know have seen it as an opportunity or or you know as a as a crisis that's called for just a call to arm to do something different yeah well i mean the construction industry has done quite well and i know that um you know when it comes to uh, home renovations or investing in your home that's one thing because of the lockdown that you know that that part of the industry has done really well um when it comes to creativity the amount of um gin companies that created hand sanitizers um i know there's so many stories of really successful stories about that um, and I guess it's not really a good thing, but I think that bottle shops have done extremely well. And I know that many of them were up 60%, you know, for the year of 2020. And uh, so really good business there. So they did really well. And I guess but, um, people, so, were, yeah, yeah, people, people were sort of trading, trading up because they, they weren't spending, spending money going out all the time. So they, they would buy, you know, a slightly fancier uh, beer or a bottle of champagne yeah. instead of a local sparkling or whatever it happened to be, right? Absolutely. And I know there's been a lot of home, you know, definitely 
home investment, okay, which, uh, you know, has really helped, I guess, that, that whole industry. And so, um, yeah, I don't drink alcohol. So I've just had to use the hand sanitizers. I didn't get into alcohol. I'm one of these Asians that are totally allergic to alcohol. So um, I didn't contribute to that particular part of the industry. Okay. But you supported the gin companies by buying hand sanitizer instead. Oh, but, okay. do you know, um, like with my own particular salon, we're a sustainable salon. And that's probably the one thing that I really hated the fact that we had to buy so much stuff, um, which affects our sustainability. So the amount of hand sanitizers, more plastic. Um, we have bags in all our garbages, like liners, more plastic. We do go for biodegradable stuff, but we're just very, very conscious of um, rubbish or wastage in our own salon. And uh, I think the sustainable industry has actually been affected a little bit because we have had to buy more of those things. But um, that's just me. I, and, you know, we have a real commitment to a circular economy and just sustainability. Yeah, so I, I think that, that might have been. That's been a hallmark of Suki as, as long as I can remember as well. I remember you talking about, you know, waste, um, you know, from, you know, both an economic perspective, but also, you know, just in terms of, you know, do you go overboard with the amount of, you know, shampoo and conditioner, et cetera, you know, at the wash basin, for example, or, you know, do you, do you find exactly the right amount that's needed, but not necessarily more that just, you know, goes into the ocean. So, um, and of course, you know, you've had this, you know, I guess, you know, commitment to, to sustainability and, and the environmental and the circular economy for, for, for some time. And I think, you know, my sense is now that there's a big, you know, eco in recovery. We were doing some advisory work for Australia Post and their, their top retailers, which by the way, one of the top online retailers for 2020 in Australia is an adult toy company. So that's another industry that has been flourishing through the uh, pandemic, little little side point there. And of course, there's even you know sustainable and environmentally friendly versions of, uh, of those devices as well. So I'm told. Um, so there you go. But I'm, I'm curious to tap into this eco you know, eco in recovery, is that an opportunity or like a, a small business is kind of going, okay, yeah, yeah. You know, we're just in survival mode. We, we, you know, we don't have the mind space to think about also sustainability because that sounds expensive. Or have you seen other, you know, small business operators who, who are kind of going actually the eco or the environmental part of the recovery is actually a crucial part of the recovery. Um, I think that uh, I think the message of being a sustainable salon has become stronger and stronger nationally around the country. Um, and, you know, with sustainable salons, which is actually a business, in fact, they, the guy who is the owner of that is, is Paul Frasca. And uh, he became the Cosbo, a small business champion um, in 2019 when we were allowed to have a summit. And it was because of his, you know, his efforts nationally to just highlight to the hairdressing and the beauty industry is breaking into now as well you know the importance of being being a sustainable business so um i i know that and that does cost us to be sustainable it's not cheap it costs us um, you know quite a bit of money every week and um and so i think that with cash flow during 2020 for many businesses that was a concern because you have to pay to become sustainable but as now we're coming out of you know the pandemic, sort of, um, I think with different expectations, let's say 2021 is, 
um, I think that people are a, a lot more conscious about taking care of themselves, their community, and also their circular economy beliefs, you know, their values. Um, and it's everywhere. I think everyone um, does think about that. I am absolutely floored when I see people throw rubbish or, you know, we live at the ocean. Um, I know you live near the ocean too. My husband swims every day. He picks rubbish up all the way along. I don't get it. You know, I, I get really saddened actually by, by seeing that kind of thing. So I think people are, are becoming more um, committed. And I think maybe because we've all been at home, they've watched Netflix, they've watched David Attenborough, they've watched um, you know, The War on Waste, things like that. So I think there's a lot more. Um, I think people are starting to really think about where they, what they do with some things. Yeah, and I think there's a real, you know, government commitment from, you know, from the likes of the, you know, United Kingdom that, you know, renewables and the green economy is essential to the recovery. You know, there's big, you know, hedge funds and, you know, investment powerhouses like BlackRock who are, you know, actively trying to remove board members from organizations who are, you know, anti-climate change or climate change skeptics. Um I would like to see a little bit more of it from the Australian government, but perhaps you can influence a little bit of, of, of that as well, uh, Sandy, to make sure that uh, Canberra wakes up to the importance of the, you know, the renewable um, and the green economy as, as you, know, a, you know, as a place to really invest and double down as, as hopefully we emerge from this pandemic chaos. Yeah, I think they do need to take it more seriously. I did see a 2018 report on um you know on a whole process around um you know climate change but i just don't think that a lot of it's been implemented and i really think that it needs to be an absolute priority. yeah um, i think we look at the eyes and look at the bushfires over in perth at the moment and you know we just can't sit back and go there's no such thing you know um, we, we just can't sort of be blind to what is happening around the world. You know, we're not the only country that's having these extreme, extreme, um, you know, heat or um, cold or, you know, storms. We're not the only one. So I think it's really, it's such an important um, subject that must be addressed, seriously addressed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just thinking from from a you know from a beauty and, and salon perspective. Uh, I mean, it's it's been said that you know part of sort of you know flouting uh, you know any any business credentials as part of the you know the economic recovery and and what's beyond the virus. Hopefully, is to to make sure that you know we're considered at least in the minds of our customers and our consumers, clients. Uh, as an essential service, as something you know they have, you know they kind of have to spend on. Um, I mean, essential service can have you know different meanings, and I guess we got to know it in twenty twenty as you know the the bakery, the the, the butcher, you know our woolies, our coals, etc. Um, you know our nurses, you know our unsung heroes, etc. Right? But um, you had some pretty powerful views about the both I think the beauty industry, but certainly the, the hairdressing industry about whether you were an essential service or not and the sort of implications of that. Um, you happy to share, share some of those thoughts? Yeah, sure. I mean, with the first wave of the pandemic in March and uh, when that happened and much of the country was, um, you know, was put into a bit of a lockdown, hairdressing was not closed. And 
in not being given a government directive to close made it very, very stressful for our industry for a number of reasons, actually. Um, if we take health and safety first, we can never distance at 1.5 from a customer. It's, it's, it's impossible to do. And uh, you would have known that all over Facebook and social media, all these silly, silly things with people, you know, shampooing someone with the gloves on the end of a broom and stuff like that. And that's exactly what it's like. You cannot social distance in hairdressing, end of story. And so um, in the very beginning in March, when Scott Morrison gave us a 30 minute flip on haircuts that confused everybody. But the, the issue was the fact that we could not get hand sanitizers, we couldn't get masks, we couldn't get um, any kind of sanitizing agent or product to wipe over all our surfaces. Um, back then, we weren't doing the QR codes. Um, you know, we just, there was nothing available for us. So from, from our perspective, we had to consider many things. First of all, is health and safety of our, of our salons, our workers, and also our community. But then what became really important after that was because the Fair Work Commission had not um, given, uh, not changed provisions with, um, you know, for COVID that didn't come out until I think it was the 8th or 9th of April. It made us very vulnerable in business. When you've not been given a, a government directive to close, then it makes you vulnerable um, to litigation. And we, we need to be really, really um, protective of our, of our small business operators, small business owners. So we couldn't negotiate with landlords because the landlords would say, but the government told you to open. So it means you can't negotiate with anyone in business when you've been told to open. So um, much of the country actually in hairdressing closed down up to 90%. Then we gradually reopened after one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and even eight weeks. The interesting thing is since then, whenever there's been a lockdown, we've been locked down as well. And um, going back to why we are an essential service, I think what became very apparent with the lockdowns is that we were seen as the escape you know, for many of our, you know, our clients to come in and to get some me time. They've been home, they've been locked up, but get out, get pampered, talk to somebody else and feel good about themselves. And I think, you know, a visit to the hairdressers is great for your self-esteem. Like, you know yourself when you would come to me and your hair's too long, but you feel really good when you leave. Okay. And Amen. so I think people really wanted, yeah, they really wanted that feeling again. So um, mental health was a huge, huge concern in 2020 and it is still in 2021. And so I think that um, a visit to the hairdressers or to the beauty therapists as well, beauty salons or the aesthetic salons um, really did help with mental health and self-esteem. Um, and so I think in that way, we're very essential, not just to make us look good. That's important, you know, um, growing uh, colour out is not nice and growing, you know, hair too long is not nice if you don't want that. So it is good for the self-esteem. It's helped for the mental health. It just is time out for some people, you know. So um, I think that, uh, I think it's interesting that we are often closed now and uh, we are masking up, you know. Uh, right now as we speak, but they're masking up in Melbourne again. Mm. Yeah, it's... Um... Yeah, I mean, a couple of reflections. I mean, f firstly, the you know the idea that you know it's time out for 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 oneself. I mean, I, I I know personally, but also you know from my wife Nicole, like just 
if we don't feel like we have an hour every month or, you know, two hours or three hours for, you know, for, for some coloring, um, in her case, um, you know, it's just, it's also a symbolic act of, you know, as, 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 as a mother of you know, a young child that, you know, Nicole still has some, some time to, to look after herself and, you know, her, 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 you know, both aesthetics, but also her mental well-being. Um, it's like a little oasis coming into, you know, to one of your salons. And I think uh, what was really hard was the beauty industry. The beauty industry was has really suffered with 2020. I mean, imagine your business being closed for six months. Like you just can't quite imagine that. And um, you know, the, you lose your staff, um, you lose your clients, etc. And yet, the beauty industry is the one industry that does infection control training. Hairdressing does not do that. And so it was really. Um, interesting but I don't think that beauty industry had really great representation and so they didn't have anyone really to lobby on their behalf um, but you know uh, if you go to all the beauty salons that I go to um, you know they're spotless they're totally clean they're beautiful and uh, I know there's some dodgy brothers out there but that's in all trades and all industries but overall you know beauty salons um, you know are, are really clean hygienic places to go to um, and generally you're in a cubicle, so there's two of you, so you're not with all these other people, and it would have been nothing for them to mask up, you know, or to put the visors on with the mask, and yet they were closed for six months. So that industry, you know, uh, you know, we sort of, uh, we're, they're our friends in the industry, we might say, and so um, that was really difficult for them. So the AHC, the Australian Hairdressing Council, has actually helped another association to launch next year, I'm oh, sorry, this year. It's called the ABIC, the Aesthetics Beauty Industry Council. So watch this space because they will then be talking about the, their own industry, the beauty industry, because they had no representation. There you go. Um, the other thing that, that's striking here, I think, is just, you know, actual government directive as well. Because um, I... Having wishy-washy or, or, or too many grey zones, I think, you know, during the pandemic has, has always led to, you know, behaviour that has either, you know, spread the virus, whether it's been confusion about mask wearing or not mask wearing, whether we're shut or open, whether you need to check in or not check in, it's, you know, it's affecting tracking and tracing, et cetera. So, and I, I know if just, you know, from our own perspective, and, and this has been obviously impacting lives and livelihoods around the world, but, you know, for, for my mum's business, and, and you know the story of her 104-year-old menswear store in Stockholm, this, you know, the pandemic became the death knell. Um, but in Sweden, which kept its, you know, kept its economy supposedly open, they've failed, you know, from a government perspective to either protect lives or livelihoods. You know, we have much, much higher incidences of, of transmission or, or people affected by COVID. Our numbers compared to our neighbors in Finland, Norway, Denmark, you know, are sky high when it comes to COVID deaths, but also uh, the economy has not been protected. And, you know, my, my parents, you know, stores uh, entering voluntary administration and then mum selling the business in a forced sale, essentially, um, you know, 
you know, it's a terrible story of where the only choice for them, because they were allowed to keep open, they were, um, there was no sort of differentiation between essential services and otherwise, but people really just spent on essential services, you know, um, toilet paper, right? And, and, and food in, in the initial stages. And, and so, um, for my parents, the only the only option and the only government support at the time back in you know March March April of 2020 was to remortgage the house and they're both in their late 60s. Dad's turning 70 this year to take out more loans to try and you know essentially uh, through you know capital raising or or, or debt equity um, get through the pandemic with no real clear sights as to what was going to happen in the future. And certainly the Swedish government's been very wishy-washy in terms of how it's, you know, trying to battle this thing. So they failed to, you know, from a government perspective, either protect lives or livelihoods by being extremely wishy-washy and not, you know, I, I would much rather a government step in and go, okay, we're closed for three weeks, but you know, there's going to be some some government support. There's going to be JobKeeper. There's going to be JobSeeker. There's going to be innovation grants, etc. And knowing that, okay, well, let's shut the doors and you have the clarity of that. You're protecting your staff. Um, but at the same time, you have confidence in your, you know, local, regional, national government that, you know, that your taxpayer money is going to go to something valuable, hopefully. I yeah, that's such a shame about your parents because I'm very aware of their incredibly successful, you know, business story and how you helped them out as well with all of your IT knowledge and, you know, all of your digital knowledge. And that's such a shame for them. Um, it's interesting because Australia is so far away, you know, that we were able to, I guess, isolate ourselves from the rest of the world almost. And New Zealand did a really good job as well. I think probably the most frustrating here for us, um, I mean, we have had incredible government support and there is a lot of confidence for the future. And we look at, you know, as you said, job seeker, job um, keeper, job maker, $1.2 billion going towards apprenticeships and traineeships. I mean, the Australian government has been so supportive with tax cuts and rebates and, um, you know, um, payroll tax uh, thresholds, uh, not for Victoria. They, they need to pick their act up, but New South Wales, yes. But I think probably the biggest frustration with Australia is the fact that we have all the different states. And so we have fragmented information. And what happens in Victoria is different to New South Wales and different to South Australia and Queensland. And so when it comes to the QR code, for instance, that's a typical example of where in New South Wales, it's mandatory to have the New South Wales QR. In Victoria and Queensland, it's not used different ones. And yet it makes sense to have one QR because then contact tracing makes it a lot faster. But it creates a lot of confusion because with social media, which is brilliant in one way, but it has a lot to answer for in another way of miscommunicating the wrong messages, you know, out there. Um, you know, I'll see someone from Queensland post something from South Australia, which has nothing to do with Queensland. And so all of a sudden we're, we're hit with confusion. And even this morning, um, the amount of phone calls, messages, emails, whatever, on do I wear a mask, do I not wear a mask in Victoria? And it's because each state needs to really identify all trades and um, the expectations of all trades. So if you're if you're in myotherapy, you never know if you're meant to, if you're allowed to operate or not. So they need to have a clear agreement with all states 
of what happens if it happens. So if there's a lockdown, if there are cases, this is what it should mean for each state. So they all agree rather than separately on how things should happen for the country. And so because of the Australian Hairdressing Council, which is national membership, COSBOA is national membership, it's quite frustrating um, dealing with the different states that have slightly different, as you say, it gets grey because, and it gets confusing. And, and social media can confuse people as well. Yeah, yeah, we certainly know that. And I think that's maybe one of the reasons why some of the social media networks have removed even presidents uh, from, from spreading untruths and, 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 and misrepresentations. Huge step, right? Mm. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, you know, technology is, is you know, it is this neutral medium it can be used for 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 good and for bad and um has power to you know do you know super effective track and tracing and you know you know artificial intelligence and machine learning help for for scientists who have you know launched you know three effective vaccines so far in a, in a record time but of course um we can also spread lies and 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 um untruths um via those same you know, mass media these days. Um, I'm curious. I mean, I remember, and 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 you're and you're you're responsible certainly. You know, from an apprentice perspective and and a, and a coaching perspective, a training development perspective of, of of having, you know, looked after generations of you know both successful entrepreneurs in the beauty industry, hairdressing industry, and and, and a lot of very, very successful and award-winning hairdressers as well. Um, You know, there there was always a focus when I was was growing up that, you know, my my parents said, hey, you know, become a a doctor or or a lawyer or a banker because then, you know, you'll you'll, you'll make good coin. Um, And, you know, like, you know, I grew up in a family where, you know, dad, dad was a public servant in the Swedish military and defense force. And, uh, and, and mum was working as a retail assistant, uh, in, you know, in the family business essentially. And, um, so they were always like, go for security and, 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 you know, and, and the big bucks and, um, you know, the important subjects at school, uh, you know, sciences and, and mathematics. And I don't think I got the sense that, you know, just, just, you know, follow your passions, um, nurture your creativity, you know, the aesthetics, music, um, that wasn't really the, the sort of the cross-generational advice at the time. Um, and even at a government level, you know, STEM has been touted, you know, learn how to code. Your, your, you know, your kids will be safe if, you, you know, if they learn how to code and if they nurture you know, their STEM capabilities and they get worried when Australia underperforms on you know, PISA educational tests, et cetera. Um, what we're forecasting is really that you know, technology and computers excel at our observation is that they excel at left brain capabilities, you know, the computational sides of our brain. So logic, sequence, mathematics, analysis, um, processing, but that where machines and robots are not great yet are, you know, having a great dialogue while you're, you know, shampooing someone's hair or, you know, talking about their home life, emotional intelligence, creativity, design, aesthetics, um, so I would say you you know you guys are, are in, a, in a pretty good space here. What 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 do you see from an a, you know an apprenticeship perspective or any any thoughts on you know the creative economy that might be emerging from 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 this pandemic shakeup? 
that hairdressing for many years has been seen as a career that is not one of choice. And so few people are, are not aware of the incredible opportunities. And when you talk about, you know, earning good coin, there are some incredibly successful hairdressers in Australia as well as overseas that actually do earn good coin. And it's because they've embraced, you know, the different opportunities. opportunities. So, yes, you can be an apprentice. And yes, you can open a salon, you can be an educator, you can travel the world, work on TV, work on films, um, you know, work on stage, do all the editorial photo shoots, magazine shoots and whatever, and be as creative as you want to be. Um, the really hard thing is, you know, we have so many mature apprentices that will enter the hairdressing industry because, you know, they're, they're, their parents wanted them to be brain surgeons and they just didn't cut it, you know, like um, we've actually just had someone apply to us. They've got two degrees at uni, but they're just not, their parents wanted them to do that. And it's like, but I just really wanted to do hairdressing. Um, look, hairdressing is not a trade that is sought after and we have a massive skill shortage. Now, I've been lobbying the government since 2019 to not take us off the skills migration list. Um, and it's really difficult too with the pandemic because we can't get migrants in, skilled migrants into the country until after 2021. And hairdressing has a huge shortage, massive shortage of skilled hairdressers, ones that are, have really great qualifications that have upskilled their talent and that are very creative. But um, hairdressing is very different to left brain people. And um, I actually remember a meeting in Canberra one time with the ATO where um, it was a small group, about 15 people were put into teams and uh, we had to come up with some strategies over the black economy and um, we were giving all these coloured pens and I was with one of the commissioners and a few others and we all wrote on um, a flip chart, you know, what our thoughts were on how to tackle um, or solve the black economy. And, and just just a definition here on on uh, what you refer to as the black economy. I'm assuming this is maybe people working and doing hairdressing without paying taxes in their backyards or in their living rooms or something like that or...? in the top three under uh, with construction and cafes so the black economy is people not yeah doing backyard stuff not paying their taxes anyway so we had to write down all our ideas on you know because in the black economy there's no insurance you know you're not covered so if someone pays you cash and you literally burn their head then uh, what happens in mitigation okay and so we're writing down these strategies and at the end of it um, and through it that one of the commissioners said to me you're using every color every texture and I went well yeah and anyway so at the end of it, we had to put our flip charts up and everybody wrote in a straight blue line whereas mine was in green and orange and red and black and blue and purple and it was sort of written you know, upside down on the side because that's actually how I write down ideas. And um, it's the one time that I actually realised when it comes to the bureaucrats how different I think and how different I speak and how I look at things. And, uh, you know, it actually looked like a dog's breakfast, to be honest, compared to their nice, neat bureaucratic lines. Mine was all over the place. It was probably one of my biggest learning ever curves where I realised I talked differently to them. I had a meeting um, with the Department of Home Affairs, Education and Employment um, last year and I was I took a roundtable of our members and one of them said to me, you sound like them now. So I obviously learnt my lesson of <laughs> being way too right brain and I now 
try to imagine how they think because they do twist things around. Another time I was in Canberra and I saw a sign that said um, English lessons and I thought it was for migrants. It actually wasn't. It was for bureaucrats to learn how we speak. Um, and so um, I haven't really changed my tactic, but I'm just aware that they speak differently, I guess, to us. Small business people do not speak like bureaucrats. Mm. I'm, I'm curious. I mean, we, we released a report last year together with ING Bank on, on, on the future of work and, and, you know, both skills that we forecast are more, you know, are more, um, you know, more right-brained um, that will be in demand in the, you know, recovery economy. And, you know, obviously, you know, there's there are skills that I've just alluded to, such as, you know, creativity or entrepreneurship and innovation and emotional intelligence i mean and these things and good things that these are things that are also trainable and there's great you know there's great psychometric tools like the herman brain dominance instrument for example that we can use to kind of map an organization's thinking and their their diversity um but i'm just curious to see you know sort of on a concrete basis um given that small businesses, you know, it's the backbone of the Australian economy and so many economies around the world. You know, what, what are you looking for when you're recruiting and, and, and accepting apprentices into your, into your business? What, what, what are the things that you, you think will make a successful candidate? Because um, looking at candidates now is very different to looking at them 10 years ago. In fact, they interview you. You don't really interview them, I find. Um, and I guess um, I think when I look at a candidate, well, they, it's looking at who's going to fit in with our culture and obviously with our brand. So we have a particular brand because, you know, we've always considered Suki hairdressing to be um, uh, a bit more of a, you know, a fashion brand. We're not overly glamorous though. So, um, and we have got our values, um, you know, we, uh, we're all animal lovers. So if someone walked in a fur coat, well then, you know, they're not going to get a job with me. Um, but I guess I look at their, you know, the things that are not skills because we can teach skills. Everything has to do with their attitude to everything, to life, to each other, how they treat people, how they speak, their self-esteem is important because um, hairdressing is all about being out there a little bit with people. So if you don't like people, then hairdressing is not for you. So I guess with our candidates, you know, we look for all-rounders, um, those who, um, you know, who obviously present well, um, but that even itself has changed over the years. They can rock him in thongs and jeans and that always surprises me. But if they've got a really great personality and, I, and they learn fast and they've got initiative and common sense um, and we can see that they have integrity and they're a caring person, well, then that's certainly a big step over the line for our particular salon. Um, and I guess they're the first things that we look for. It's very difficult to see someone's true character, I think, uh, for probably a good 12 to 16 weeks. And that's when it really comes out because we call it the honeymoon period before where they're probably acting like they think you want them to act. Mm -hmm. So we're really looking for that person. And uh, we have four values in our salon and it's integrity and honestly, honesty and um, loyalty and respect. So I guess we look for them, um, those values coming out in a person as well. Um, but, you know, I think in an interview, you just want to see someone who's genuine and someone who's really excited to be there 
um, and who wants to be there as well. Um, nowadays, it's pretty exciting if someone turns up to an interview, which is pretty sad. Yeah. I guess and the wonderful thing here, I think, is that there is, you know, there is a real opportunity now. And, I, I, you know, obviously, you know, the this pandemic has been a huge circuit breaker for the economy. You know, there's lots of people doing it really, really tough. Um, we've also seen through our research that people are really reevaluating, as, as you pointed to with the, you know, with your staff member that, um, you know, has two university degrees because, you know, her parents wanted her to do that, to tick those boxes. But there is a shift now and a reevaluation of like, is what I'm doing, you know, beyond just paying for the for the bare essentials, you know, is there some meaning and and, and purpose to to what I'm doing? And it sounds like certainly the beauty and the and, and the hairdressing industry, you know, carries a lot of that. And in particular, it's probably been reinforced through the pandemic of you know the essential service and you know including psychological service that you guys provide. But there's this Japanese concept that I love called ikigai, uh, stands for life's purpose, and that that's my my translation of it. Um, so apologies if uh, to our Japanese audience if I don't quite nail it on the head, but just to describe it, um, it has these wonderful four overlapping concentric circles that essentially stand for you know what you're passionate about, what are you good at, what will someone pay you for, and does it make a difference to the world or the community, for example. And oftentimes people kind of shift one way or the other, you know, they might do something that they're, you know, super passionate about and what they're good at, uh, but they don't get paid for it. Or they're doing something that they're super passionate about and it's good for the world, but, you know, they're not necessarily building, building wealth and sustainability into it, or they just do something that they're really good at and what, you know, pays for something, but that feels soulless. So I think there's an opportunity now for people to kind of embrace all of those parts, and I think, you know, also augmented by technology, which tends to do for us some of the menial and, and maybe even mundane things that, you know, we as entrepreneurs or as, you know, as talent, et cetera, don't like doing, such as punching spreadsheets, for example. We can actually focus more on our creativity and our, you know, our innate human passions and our purpose and 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 find meaning and sustainability in what we do. Um, I know I'm throwing that concept at you. You might have come across this, uh, but um, I think that 2020. Um, I mean, more well, everyone that I know has embraced technology more than ever. You know, um, my bum is so sore from so many Zoom meetings. You know, but I mean, just even with my own staff, um, I think that out of all our seniors, I think there's eight or nine. Only one of them is full time. Okay. And 95% of our industry is female. But it's interesting. We've found that a lot of our industry is going towards part time because they're looking for that balance as well. Um, they're looking for working in hairdressing, but maybe doing something as well, as you say, because there's that, well, what am I truly passionate about? And yes, they would be truly passionate about their hairdressing career, um, but they also might have other interests um, that. Uh, uh, whether it's music or whether it's painting mm. or, or whether it's whatever. And so I, I do believe that, you know, not just in Australia, but worldwide, everyone has re-looked at their values. I actually decided I wasn't going to speak to so many idiots this year because it was, it was quite interesting last year. It was actually, you know, for so many people emotional. And I made a pact with myself that I was going to 
not speak to so many silly people. Um, but, uh, you know, in the first part of the pandemic, wow, people were really attacking the Australian Hairdressing Council. I had someone uh, call me a mass murderer for not shutting the industry down, okay, a doctor. And it's not as if I can do that anyway. But, you know, some things like that, it's really interesting the way people reacted last year. And then you could see the anger, the confusion, the uncertainty, the frustration settled into uh, more of an acceptance. We actually used a, um, a psychologist last year to explain how the pandemic was making everyone feel. And it was the same as grieving. <clears throat> you know, you go through the five stages of grieving and the last stage is the acceptance. And I think that people are more accepting of the fact that 2020 was brutal. 2021 is about planning, understanding, and what happens, happens. How are we going to, how are we going to do this? If it happens, if it happens, what are our plans? And even I've sat down with my staff and gone, okay, if we get locked down, what are our plans going to be? Okay. So I think that, um, you know, what you say is really interesting because I also believe everyone is thinking more about their friends, their family, their health, their time out. What are they truly passionate about? Um, is it so important to get paid as well? Yes and no. I think it's more important to be happy, to be healthy and to be passionate and to actually have a purpose. And I think I'm someone who's really believed that you always have to have a purpose. That purpose doesn't have to mean I'm going to make a lot of money. I know that I have a certain purpose. I have quite a few of them, in fact, and um, not one of them leads to money, but they're definitely things that I'm passionate about. Okay. And so I think uh, 2020 definitely let people really think about what their true values were, what their true passions were, and what their purpose was. Yeah, too true. And I think, um, you know, one thing that I take away from that as well, beyond just the acceptance that, that you're highlighting there, is just the fact that people are back into, you know, future planning mode or kind of going, hey, we're accepting what's been in 2020. You know, we know there are going to be some rough patches, no doubt, during 2021, but they are reevaluating and seeing how they can really, you know, shape the future of, of their companies, be they large or small. Given, uh, given the biofeedback we just received from you as well, Sandy, of sore backsides during uh, Zoom calls, I'll, I'll take that as a gentle nudge and as a hint that um, we're probably into the end zone of this conversation. And um, I must thank you for all your, all your wisdom, but also for the, for the compliment of, uh, of not qualifying as a silly person, uh, because we're still having this conversation. Thanks for hanging out on the second renaissance. It's so cool to see you. And I know it's not face-to-face, -face, but not many of my meetings are face-to-face. -face. But, yeah, I really did love doing your hair in Paddington. And, uh, you know, we had some great conversations and I like travelling with you as well. So, well, I think that we do owe each other that cup of coffee. Yeah. And extend it to dinner or lunch. And, you know, I'll get to the northern beaches at some point. Sounds good. Welcome across. Love to your parents too. I hope they're okay. Yeah. Yeah. The good thing is that they now have time for FaceTimes and story time via WhatsApp um, and the iPhone uh, with my son Lucian. So it's actually a lot, lot more quality time, even though it's just digital at the moment. So thank you very much for hanging out. <laughs>